0: Equipping today's college students to make their four years count for eternity. This is the Campus Outreach Podcast. The idea of sanctification tonight. What exactly does that word mean? It's kind of a big church word. Some of us may not be familiar with it. About 400 years ago, over in England, they got some of the best kind of preachers and teachers of the Bible together, and they tried to define some of these words kind of clearly and basically for us. And so here's what they said. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace where we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die to sin and to live to righteousness. And so the guy that was giving his testimony, he did a good job explaining sanctification. Now, when you first become a Christian, justification, I think you all probably talked about that this summer, it's instantaneous. You put your faith in Christ And God makes a legal declaration, so to speak, in the cosmic courtroom of the universe that says you're not guilty, you're not condemned, you're forgiven, you're justified. It's instantaneous, it's irrevocable. But in that instant, then in your life starts a lifelong process that will literally last from the day you first put your faith in Christ until the day that you see Him face to face where you become more and more like Christ. You die to sin, you grow to righteousness, but it's a battle, it's a fight. It's a slow, sloppy process, oftentimes. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight in this passage in Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to start in verse 13. So you got your Bibles, Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Most of this letter has been about justification. By grace, by faith. And then, Paul kind of makes a turn to talk about sanctification. Look at what he says. For you were called to freedom, brothers... Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So what he says is, listen, Jesus Christ, when He died on the cross and rose from the dead and you placed your faith in Him, you were set free from your sin burden. You were set free from trying to have to justify and save yourself. But he says, be careful because what some Christians are genuinely tempted to do once they realize how secure they are in Christ is sin more because now you say, well, I can get away with it. You don't have to do a show of hands, but I wonder how many you can do a show of hands if you want to. I know in my life I had times and seasons where I said, I really believe in Jesus. I really believe He's forgiven me. I really believe He lives in my heart. And I'd really like to go out and party this weekend. Now, this was back in high school, not like this weekend, okay? And uh, the good thing is, I think what the gospel means is I can do that and get away with it. And guys, listen, this is, this is a scandal of the gospel. That is how powerful the love of Christ is. You can go sin and you don't lose your salvation. And what Paul is saying is, don't let your justification turn into an excuse or even a motiv- motivation to sin more justification ought to be a motive because Christ has loved me so much even to the point of death, I ought to want to live for Him. I don't have to live for Him to save myself, but because He's been so gracious, I should want to live for Him. That's the process of sanctification. Now, I know this summer, at least I've been told, the way that you are doing these meetings every week is you're talking about the who behind whatever the main topic is. Is that, is that right? Like the who behind creation, the who behind justification. Whether you've been doing that or not, we're going to talk tonight about the who behind sanctification, because that's how they told me to come at it. So, uh, there's really multiple answers. Who is behind sanctification? And the first point would be this. The Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is the one that sanctifies us. The Holy Spirit is the one that empowers us. Let's keep going in this passage. Galatians chapter 5, look at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So Paul says, listen, walk by the Spirit. What he means, the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, lives inside of you. He will give you the power to kill your old way of living, to kill the sinful practices, and to start to do the right things. That's one of the Holy Spirit's main role is to grow you up. He says the Holy Spirit has desires, and their desires to obey Jesus, to love Jesus, <coughs> to honor Jesus, to be like Jesus. But then he talks about the flesh, and if you read the Bible, and especially if you read the letters of Paul, he uses this term a lot: the flesh. And he doesn't mean skin and bone. That's not what he's talking about. When Paul says flesh, almost always, what he means is sin that still lives inside of you, even if you're a Christian, even if you're forgiven. Even if the Holy Spirit lives in you. I bet, even if you just became a Christian last night, I bet you know the right answer to this question. Does that mean that now that you are perfect and you're never going to sin again? It absolutely does not. Only one perfect person ever lived, the Lord Jesus Christ. Even the greatest Christians of all time, like the Apostle Paul, they still struggle with sin. We're still tempted to sin. We can still fall into sin. We have to be proactive using the power of the Holy Spirit to kill sin. So when Paul says flesh, what he's talking about is sin personified. Sin that still lives inside of me. Sin that is like a spiritual cancer that I need to apply the powerful chemotherapy of the Holy Spirit to to kill. As long as you're a Christian, again, until you die or you see Jesus face to face when He comes back, there will be an ongoing war and battle inside of you. Now, one of the popular phrases today in the world is, you do you, okay? And you know what? You do you is great when it comes to picking your favorite flavor of ice cream, right? They still have that homemade ice cream place down here. I was there 26 years ago when I was on my first beach Project. Love that place. And if you go there and they have Rocky Road and they have blueberry cheesecake, you do you. There's no Bible verse that says, Rocky Road is better homemade ice cream than blueberry cheesecake homemade ice cream. If you want to pick, do you cheer for Auburn or Alabama? You do you. Right? Okay? There's no verse. But listen, when it comes down to, should I be loving to my roommate and honor them and treat them nicely and serve them? Or should I be a jerk and steal their food and lie to them about that? That ain't you do you. That's you do Jesus. You obey the Bible if you're a Christian. Does that make sense? Let me give you another phrase that's very popular in our culture today. (coughs) Be true to yourself. I mean, that's from a college philosophy professor all the way to Disney movies, right? You've got to be true to yourself. But here's why that doesn't ultimately work. Which self? And let me just give you two really clear examples. Because listen, this is so popular in our culture. Even if you're a really strong Christian, we have drink in this type of thought process so much that we don't even know we think this way as much as we do. But I bet a lot of you come down to Beach Project. How many? Let's have a show of hands. How many of you, since you've been at Beach Project, you've been exercising maybe just a little bit more? Then you used to exercise once you got down here, right? You're running more. You're going to the beach. Why? Because you're like, I'm gonna be in my bathing suit more. I want to look nice. But then you're also like, man, I'm in Panama City Beach, the Redneck Riviera. Yeah. There's a lot of good places to eat here. <laughs> and we're on beach project. It's kind of hard to cook in the room, so I like cheeseburgers. I like French fries. I like milkshakes. And so for most of us, unless you just have an amazing metabolism, and if you do, enjoy it while it lasts, all right? It'll go away when you're about 30. But for the rest of us normal human beings, you have to say, what is it that I really want most? I have two strong desires. I have one strong desire for a milkshake, a frosty with the french fries dipped into the frosty, right? But I also have this competing desire for six-pack washboard abs. And it's really hard to have both, right? Milkshake. Milkshake. That's what I choose as well, okay? So here's the issue. If somebody says, well, just be true to yourself, which one is the true desire? Do you understand the problem? Now, that one's kind of sweet and laugh and funny. Let me give you a little bit more serious. I won't ask for a show of hands on this one, but some of you are falling in love down here on Beach Project, or at least you're falling in light. Okay? In the back, we have Emma Grace's parents. I think they fell in love down on the Beach Project 26 years ago. All right. And so, I met my wife on the Beach Project, okay? Got to know her. Yeah. And so, let me just tell you, so, that listen, it worked for me, it can work for you, all right? Yeah. But here's what I want to say if you fall in love with somebody, you start talking about marriage. Part of what you start saying, when you're, if you're serious about marriage, is, Hey, I want to commit myself to you forever and ever. I like you. I'm in love with you. I'm attracted to you. I want to be with you, right, in all the different ways. And what I'm saying is I'm willing to commit for the rest of my life just to be with you. But at some point, I promise you, in the dating, in the engagement, in the marriage, there will be times where you see somebody else and you're like, well, they're pretty cute. I'd kind of like to be with them a little bit too. Be true to yourself. That ain't helpful. (laughs) Which self? The self that wants to be faithful to my wife because I love her? Or the self that's just bored and I got tempted over here? Do you understand the problem? Which self? And biblically it's be true to your true self. Be true to your new self. Be true to your Holy Spirit self. Be true to your Christ-centered self. There's a war going on inside of you if you're a Christian that will rage until you see Jesus face to face and you must take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 is a wonderful promise that says God will never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear but He will always provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. When the temptation comes, the Holy Spirit will always give you the power to say no to temptation and yes to righteousness. But if you're a genuine Christian, even when you fall into sin, Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. But don't let Romans 8.1 become an excuse to give in to sin. Let it be your motive to fight sin and hate it even more. Walk by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers you. The second point would be, He's going to say we're led by the Spirit. Look at verse 18. Let's keep going. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh, again, sin, are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, robberies, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You ought to underline that phrase in your Bible. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The second point. Who is behind sanctification? You are. I am. Who does justification? God. He does it all by himself. He says, I justify you. Boom. Done. Instantaneous. Sanctification. Who does it? Me and the Holy Spirit do it together in partnership. He gives me the power, but then I have to bring the power to bear. I have to make the choice. I have to make the decision. I have to make the step. I have to say no to the milkshake, choose the salad. And, um, when the Bible talks about being led by the Holy Spirit... It doesn't mean what I fear that most of us think it means most of the time. It doesn't mean that you say, Oh, Holy Spirit, lead me to the right girl to marry. There's so many cute girls, they all like me, I can't decide. Lead me. I, listen, if that's your problem, get on your mate. Pray for help. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit won't give you wisdom. God, I've just graduated. I think I'm supposed to go to grad school, but I'm not sure. Would you lead me to... Again, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit doesn't answer prayers like that. I believe He does. He's done it in my life. What I'm saying is when the Bible uses that phrase led by the Holy Spirit, that's not what it's talking about. Look at the context. Listen, the best way to understand the Bible is just read the next verse. It's not to look it up in the Greek. It's not to read a commentary. It's just read it in context. And the context of this is the Holy Spirit leads you away from all those sinful things like sexual immorality, divisions, drunkenness, and He leads you to love, joy, peace, patience. You understand? He's leading you, but you got to follow. you got to take the step. Now just notice for just a second, there's four different main types of sin here. Sexual sin, most of us can identify with that. The second one is witchcraft. Praise the Lord, I don't think most of us are dealing with Ouija boards and stuff like that anymore. But if you are, stop it. It's bad. <laughs> the third is about not loving others. Right, what is it, about week six of each project? Right, it's where it's, It ain't cool anymore. It's like, I hate that dude. I'm sick of him parking and blocking me in and oversleeping and as long as I write. Love somebody. It's hard. We can do by that. And the fourth one is basically Paul's way of saying of your brains out, like most college students do. And what good Christians are supposed to do is say, Holy Spirit, lead me. Give me the power to say no to those sins. And then I'm going to do everything I can in my effort to say no to the works of the flesh, the sin, and yes to the deeds of righteousness. The law. The moral law of God. Loving one another. You understand? Philippians chapter 2, verse 12-13. through Write it down. It's a good verse to go look at later. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say work for your salvation. But it says work it out. You've already been saved, but now practically work it out in your life. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good pleasure. God changes your desires. Slowly but surely. God gives you the power. I have to appropriate it. Let me just read a few quotes, okay? We are called to shoulder the responsibility of seeing that the work gets done. The work of sanctification. Marriage, once possessed, is possessed in full, but merits a lifetime of exploration, enjoyment, development, and discovery. I got married over 24 years ago. I first got married. I really liked my wife. I really loved her. I thought I knew her. 24 years later, I know her a lot better. you understand? It's it's lifelong exploration of getting to know her better. The same is true in our Christian walk. You trust in Jesus, but then it's a lifelong experience of knowing Jesus more, following him more, applying all more. A guy named B.B. Warfield said this okay, It is the Holy Spirit's part to keep us in the path, the path of holiness, to bring us at length to the goal, the goal of heaven. But it is we who are to tread every step of the way, our limbs that grow weary with the labor as we toil over the steep ascent. Samuel Bolton. Now he's one of these old English preachers I was talking about earlier. At least lived in a similar time. The law sends us to the Gospel for our justification. So I look at the Ten Commandments, the moral law, and it says, don't do all this stuff. And I say, but I am doing it and I'm a sinner. And so the law in a sense says, go to Jesus, go to the Gospel. He'll justify you. But then after I've been justified, listen to the second part of the quote, the Gospel sends us to the law to frame our way of life. When I say, I'm so happy that Jesus saved me. I love Him. What can I do to make Jesus happy with my life? Obey the Ten Commandments. You said i got to obey the Ten Commandments to go to heaven? No. You're going to heaven because Jesus died on the cross and rose. But if you love Jesus and you want to honor Him, you obey the Ten Commandments as a way to honor Him. John Owen. Make it your daily occupation. Do not cease a day from that work. Be killing sin or it will kill you. Guys, the fight against sin is a fight to the death. It's like a cage match. It's like the old gladiators and the Roman Colosseum. It's not a sweet UFC fight with a referee that will you know, blow the whistle if you tap out. It's a fight to the death against the sin that lives inside of you. Thus, in spite of the work of the cross of Christ... For each and every sin, we must apply its af- effectiveness by our daily work. You understand that? It's like Jesus did it all at the cross. He gave me all the power I need. I have to apply it. Here's another phrase, not in the culture as much, it's in the church. See if you've heard this one. Let go and let God. You ever heard that before? That sounds so spiritual, almost sounds like a Bible verse, right? It's like that's gotta be in there somewhere. That's like 2nd Hezekiah 7:14 or something, right? <laughs> it's not in there. Because especially when it comes to sanctification, let God, let go and let God doesn't work. Sanctification says, let God and let you. Get busy in partnership. It's you and God together, working together. How does a great marriage work? A little just piece of marriage advice for all those of you that are falling in love. Okay, You fall in love if you get married. If you say, I'll do my 50% part, if she'll do her 50% part, you're going to be divorced. What you have to say is I'm going to do my 100% part and I'm telling this from a man's perspective okay? and I'm hoping and praying she's going to do her 100% part because if we both do our 100% part then we got a chance of making it. But that's how hard it is. In the same sense God's got to do His 100% part. He always does. I by His grace need to do my 100% part. That's how you become holy. That's how you grow up in Jesus. Third point. The Holy Spirit, He gives us life. He gave us life. It's a done deal. It's already happened. Look at verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. Notice the past tense. It's already happened. Have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Here's what Paul is saying there. He's saying, guys... The way that you became a Christian is the Holy Spirit came into your life and He opened your spiritually dead eyes. He revived you. He gave you the gift of spiritual life. What you have to do now is walk by the Spirit, keep in step by the Spirit, live by the Spirit. It would be like if you had been held hostage by some wicked, evil person who was torturing you. And somebody came and rescued you. And that person said, and you're like, thank you so much for rescuing me. How can I ever say thank you? And they just said, well, how about we get married? That's the way you can say thank you. And you actually like this person. They're attractive and rich in the whole nine yards. It's like, great. I'd love to marry you to say thank you. And I'll live my whole life in communion with you as a way to honor you. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. So let's just talk by web application for just a second. Uh, any of y'all ever read uh, Road On an Electric Bicycle before? I never had until last week, Road One up a mountain. And if I had to ride up that mountain all by myself on a normal bike, I would not have made it. It would have been a very short bike ride, like up the first hill and back home.
1: <laughs> if I had been on
0: a motorcycle, it would have been very easy. Right? You get on the motorcycle, just crank it up, there you go. But an electric bike, there's power, but you also have to pedal. It's a partnership between battery power and my pedaling. And then you go up the mountain pretty fast, but you still sweat. because There's still effort and energy. A guy named Dallas Willard said, God is not against effort. He's against earning. And all the effort we put forth in the Christian life, you're never earning anything. You're never deserving something. You're never married. You can never say to God, "You owe me, God." The only thing God owes us is his help. But God, in His mercy, has given His people grace for all eternity. Now I take that grace, and out of gratitude, I leverage it to a new life, a holy life, a loving life. We're down here at the beach, and we just think about this: this is a different sin if you were out. In the surf and a rowboat, your arms are gonna get tired really quick. If you're out in the surf in a speedboat, you just turn on the engine and you just sit there. You don't do nothing. You take a nap, and the boat will keep going. You might have a wreck, but it'll keep going. Neither one of those is a good picture of the Christian life. You know what is a good picture of the Christian life? A sailboat. Any of you ever been on a sailboat? I've done that a handful of times. There's a lot of work. You got to put the sail up the right time, the right way, the right angle. But guys, you know what happens if no wind comes along? You don't move. I don't care how good you are at getting the sail just right. Look how good my sail is. It's the right angle. It's real pretty looking. If there's no wind, you ain't moving. But if the wind does come, and your sail's not up, you're not moving either. It's a partnership. Your work with the sail and the wind of God is what moves you forward. And that's such a great picture of sanctification. So, This passage, so to speak, is kind of like a God centered sandwich. And here's what I mean it's like it starts out talking about you've got to have the power of the Holy Spirit, but you have to follow the Holy Spirit. You've got to keep in step. But by the end, it's talking about what the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross. Because our part in sanctification is important, but it's not the most important part. The most important part is what the Holy Spirit does day by day and what the Lord Jesus Christ has already done once and for all on the cross for us. So think about this, guys. Sanctification is a fight. It's a battle. There are two different desires warring inside of us. And I have to say, no, no, I want to love people. I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to be selfish, but I want to love. It's a battle. And in those moments where you're the most tempted, here's what you should think about. The Lord Jesus Christ, He went to the cross for all His people and He fought hand in hand, as it were, to the death with sin, with Satan, with death, with hell, with the grave. He died in our place. He rose again. He won the victory. He did all of that because He loved us so much. If He was willing to fight to the death for us, we should say, out of such love and gratitude back to you, I want to fight to be faithful to you the rest of my life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We're so unworthy. Thank you for the supernatural chain reaction that you started in our lives when we put our faith in you. We pray that it would continue until we see you face to face. Make us into the men and women of holiness that you want us to be. We pray all this in Christ's name.